Hello, I'm Brandon Mercer. I'm Joshua Stein. Today is Thursday, May 26th, 2016, and this is episode 27 of Garbage. Yep, we have a, a list of things to talk about this week. There's been a lot of things going on between Ripe and Google I.O. and complaining about tools that we have to write software in and all sorts of stuff. So where do you want to start? Uh, I guess we'll do OpenBSD stuff and get it out of the way. Okay. Since uh, we usually do that first, and then maybe people stop listening. I don't know. All right. Is that a frog? Um, no, it's a bird. Oh, it sounds like a frog. The weather is nice here, so like this is uh, a technical podcast bringing nature into it. I see. Um. All right. Well, I guess what's new in OpenBSD? Um, oh, shit, I was... <laughs> 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 okay, so I got this app on my phone. It's called Umo, and it listens to you talk. And then every time you say a filler word, like like or you know or actually or uh, it uh, does stuff. So I'm gonna let it record myself. Sorry, I just wanted to see, because I have to edit out all the times when I say, um, and like. And all the times I say, um, and I like, and so, and yeah, and that's cool. Yeah, so I figured I'd uh, see how many times I actually say it. We should make it a drinking game. Like, everybody who listens to the podcast, just pull out something that you fancy drinking, and every time you hear us, and then we'll just pick a a word for the week every time we say it. Right, like on uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Alright, so back to stuff. I was just about to say um there, and I stopped myself. I wonder if I say the word um if it thinks that... No, it doesn't. That's neat. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so Theo is uh, proposing this change, and it is a mount flag Mm -hmm. for the file system. I think it's only supposed to be working on FFS and NFS. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is a WX allowed flag. And what this is supposed to be doing is to turn on WXRX system wide for all of the things that OpenBSD provides, which should be running with that protection. And then the things that you install third party, like in user local, you would probably mount with this flag set so that you can do W and X, which I guess would be the opposite of W, X, or X. Right. And the, and the purpose of this is because um, we, we want to differentiate uh, software that can be run with XOR and software that cannot. And we want to kind of like provide a, a path to getting all software there without uh, completely crippling things in, in the ports tree and that come from packages that can't run that way um, in the interim. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So Theo's been iterating on it, and it is enabled in snapshots, but it has not been committed yet. Mm-hmm. So if you are running a snapshot and you see a bunch of things... Oh, because there was also a kernel some kernel logging spam to tell you when these kinds of things happen. 
I guess when it would, uh, when some process runs and it wants a writable and executable page to kind of figure out what things actually need this. Right. And I saw that somebody was already complaining about how many log messages it produced. Yeah, so that's a good thing, and it's deliberate. I mean, it wasn't just like a leftover, like, oh, yeah, I see this thing, and I'm going to, you know, I forgot to take it out. This was intentional so that people would see it, so that we'd have a little bit of visibility. Yeah, so, again, these things are not committed. They are just in snapshots, so you can, if you want to play with them, run a snapshot, and if you don't want them, just compile your own kernel from CVS. And I guess that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. It's kind of neat stuff. What else? We didn't have a show last week. Yeah. I feel like there should be more things to talk about. I know. It, and it, and we didn't have a show because uh, real life got in the way. Yeah, I was moving to a new house, and now I am at that house. Um, There's another room. <laughs> Uh, Mark Katenis has been iterating on EFI, or no, what was he doing with uh, ARM? All sorts of stuff. Um, I want to say, I want to say install boot stuff. I think he was doing some kind of EFI support on ARM, right? That sounds weird, but it's a thing. Right? It It is a thing, yeah. Um, and there were two things that came before that. Let me see here. I'm going to fumble through the emails here and just kind of... I know it was like stuff with uh, the flattened device tree. Mm-hmm. And then the you can run the eeprom command to spit out that tree in a nice format. And I saw his code and the size of the stuff, and it didn't look that big, and I was like, oh, that's neat. And uh, Theo's response was just beautiful. And I thought the same thing, like that's very elegant and there isn't a separate command that uh, some other program or some other operating system might introduce that shall remain nameless. <laughs> yeah, I I can't find it. I, I'm trying to pull it up here. Um, I know he's he's done a bunch of great work on this stuff. And I was like, how come it's that easy for Mark and it's hours and hours and hours of investigation for everybody else. Right. And I couldn't figure out what device he was actually working on, which ARM device, but I think it's one of those little, uh, little yeah. tiny computers. It wasn't like a Chromebook or anything. Yeah, okay, here we are. And, and it is install boot. So um, little email. It says, it only attempts to install on an EXT2 file system. Um, and he notes that the code is going to new FS the file system, but it can't mount it and FS check, um, fails. Um, not sure if that's really desirable. The user could have an ext4 file system that we can't mount and our FS check would fail on that. Then we'd zap the file system. But really the, I think the thing that we want is, uh, a fat partition. I think that's more desirable than... Uh, the ext file systems for most of the ARM stuff. I think that's what they look for and what they're trying to validate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I guess there's just a little bit of dialogue back and forth between uh, Mark and Jonathan and and Theo about it. But uh, yeah, so it's it's good progress in the ARM land. Because this all came from uh, U-Boot, 
mm-hmm. having EFI support. Am I remembering that correctly? Yep, that's right. That seems weird, but I guess uh, neat. <laughs> it it's strange because like depending on the hardware and depending on the U boot, they try and validate the disk layout. Um, so if the disk layout is EFI, then they need to do EFI or they need to support EFI. So. All right. Uh, anything else OpenBSD related? Um, somebody was complaining about the kernel compile times of, uh, what was it, um, two different boards. They have the BeagleBone Black, which seems to be like what everybody gets, and it seems to be one of the slower machines. And then um, they had another ARM machine, and they were expecting the compile times, like the kernel compile times, to be uh, significantly faster. And it was like, I don't know, 230 minutes to build a kernel or something like that. And uh, just some dialogue back and forth about how um, we use the information passed from U-Boot to set the clock timings and stuff. So if U-Boot has something goofy in there, then, you know, it, it won't get um, it won't get set to its optimum speed because we don't do any CPU scaling in ARM yet. Um, so, yeah. Little weird arm things like that. I don't know if that was of interest or not, but there's been uh, things going on with arm, which is interesting. And there was also some stuff with um, um, HTTPD as well. Some uh, possible leaking going on, and I think those holes got plugged rather quickly. That was kind of interesting to me because I do web stuff and I don't use HTTPD, so. Kind of interesting to see that stuff go on. You don't run HTTPD? I don't. What is wrong with you, Brandon? I know. I don't either. I use Nginx. Yeah, Nginx are my own Go stuff. So that, I guess, can lead into this uh, Beaches thing? Yeah, Beaches. Uh, LearnBCHS.org. That's right. And you're probably thinking, what is Beaches? Yeah, I, I can beach just as well as the next guy. Yeah, you son of a beach. Yeah. Um, so beaches, uh, B-C-H-S, I guess is supposed to be a... It's like a web stack. So beaches, B-S-D-C, H-T-T-P-D, and SQLite. Yep. Instead of Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. Yeah. So the Learn Beaches website says... Beaches is for real development. It's a hipster-free open-source software stack for web applications to prepare a Beaches environment, install OpenBSD, then get started. And then it leads you to some documentation about OpenBSD, C, HTTPD, SQLite, and some tools like FastCGI and SlowCGI. Uh, yep. OpenBSD Pledge, uh, LLVM, and Valgrind, and AFL. Yep. And and so the the documentation, the whole idea behind here is like uh, building really secure websites and web applications using these uh, using this particular stack requires you to kind of go through um, a method. And they want you to run these static code analyzers from uh, Clang. They want you to um, 
you know, test your input validation using this AFL um, scanner um, and just pump your application full of a bunch of rubbish. And basically, it's it's not only is it a web framework, but um, or a web stack or whatever you want to call it, but it's an entire um, method methodology. I hate saying that, but it it is. It's just like a way to build and test and um, um, I don't know, validate your your web application um, and all the tools that you need and you know best practices and that kind of stuff. So it's a it's a pretty neat thing, and I kind of wish that hipsters would start using it so that uh, hipsters could write safe web applications too. Um, but yeah, it, it's really interesting, um, it, and it looks really you know well thought out. You can build stuff really quickly in it um, and iterate through things really quickly, and obviously it's faster than um, Go and Ruby on Rails and Python and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, there was some uh, some joking on Lobsters uh, that this sort of project is the hipster thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> in 2016 because it's like going to a uh, coffee shop with a typewriter, right? Uh, you know, trying to write a web application in C. Uh, does not appeal to me. Yeah, and I'm not going to do it. But um, there are people yeah. who need to. I mean, that's the the point is is that um, there's people who need to, and this learn BCHS is showing you how you have to go about it, like the bare minimums. And there's a lot to get right. And you know, it, it's kind of funny because. Most people who build web applications, you would consider to be, you know, probably in the software development uh, scheme of things, maybe not as well versed in software development. And so this guy, uh, the people who put together this site um, are actually, I would consider them very capable uh, web developers or developers in general. And so they're saying, oh, no, you can do it and it can be done. And I think if you need a, um, the performance of C and this is your particular environment, um, there's some benefits that come with it, but they're showing you, look, this is, you have to do this and you can get it right. And here's the type of work that it takes. Um, so for instance, if you build a, um, an application like a web application and it's running in OpenBSD, you want to have like privilege se separation. So you're going to run HTTPD and those are going to spawn a bunch of slow CGI processes in the background running as, as an unprivileged user or sandboxed or CH-rooted or whatever you're going to do. Um, and and comparing that to something like a Go application where, um, you know, you fire it up and it's running as whatever user you run it as, but there's no, like, you can't do things like CH-rooting and um, all that kind of stuff as easily as you can with a C ap application. And so there's some benefits, I guess, to doing stuff like this. Um, I guess we could pledge this much more easily as well um, if you were going to build an application in um, in this particular web stack. HTTPD is already pledged, correct? I want to say it is. I just realized that I was talking for a while with my microphone muted. <laughs> I wondered why you were quiet. Yeah, so this... Uh, I wonder how long I was muted for. Anyway, <laughs> this stuff is written by Chris Depps, who has written a bunch of OpenBSD stuff and some other libraries and things for writing C-based 
CGI applications, hmm. like KCGI, which is the CGI and fast CGI library in C. Yep. KCalDev is his uh, simple, safe, and minimal CalDev server. Yep. And he has KSQL, which is a SQLite wrapper, which I'm assuming makes it easier to uh, interface with SQLite from his applications. Yep. And there's also stuff in there for uh, asynchronous calls into Postgres and JSON parsing using another third-party library. So, yeah, that's the idea behind all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see using like this sort of stack for something minimal, like uh, OpenBSD has the, what is it, the BGP looking glass mm -hmm. utility that ships with it and that interfaces with BGPD. So that's something like you'd want that really secure and minimal because it's talking to your BGP daemon and you're taking some weird inputs and stuff. But other than something really small like that, I can't really see myself ever needing, ever using this kind of a stack for a web application. It seems like the gap between C and a web application is like the gap between writing, I don't know, a video game in assembly. <laughs> like, there's just so much stuff that you want to be done in a high level language because you need to iterate over it fast and kind of grow the thing to a, a larger size. And so writing it in a low level language like that, you're going to get, you're going to spend so much time dealing with all the little things that you don't have to worry about in a high level language. Yeah. And, and ironically, when I was talking on IRC this week, um, somebody mentioned that there's, um, a web framework built in assembler mm -hmm. and they're like touting that it's faster than nginx and all this kind of stuff so um maybe i'll find that and we'll put a link to it in the show notes and if i don't find it then we'll just edit this piece out but i, I thought it was kind of funny um because i was coming from my my web development started off in like Perl, then went to java then skip a few things python c sharp um and then go and now i'm kind of like do I want to do stuff in C and I'm just feeling the waters out? And then this suggestion was made kind of tongue in cheek and it said, you know, oh, you're thinking too high level. What you really need is assembler. And then uh, sure enough, there's a vetted usable um, web stack or web framework in, uh, in assembler. So <laughs> yeah. kind of funny. I mean, I guess it depends what you're doing. Like I could see writing a, uh, like some kind of tiny web interface to a router like mm -hmm. on really limited hardware. Like, yeah, you'd want that in C or even assembler, probably not assembler, but at least C and doing that in, uh, doing that for like, you know, a web application that you or I work with every day. That just doesn't seem practical. No. And, and it's probably, I mean, because the thing with the type of stuff that I build is you just have to be able to build something quickly and I don't feel like you can vet and pay enough attention, close enough attention to the things that you're working with um, in a C stack that you can using, you know, like Go tools and vetting and using their built-in libraries and just the minimal amount of code that I have to deal with anyway. Yeah. All right. So that is beaches. You can learn you some beaches. <laughs> And what else do we have? 
Well, since we're talking about web stuff, I want to complain about Go. All right. Um, I don't know if this is a valid complaint, but uh, I'm going to pretend that it is. And no one told me about the sharp edges and running with scissors, so I ran with scissors. Uh-oh. And uh, it says right in the documentation, the um, writing to a map and reading from a map without a lock um, produces undefined behavior. And um, I ran into the undefined behavior. I would tell you what happened, but it was really undefined. Um, but bad things happened. Um, and so I read some documentation. I look at how to do this. <clears throat> And of course, this is all kind of around the same type of thing of me using Go routines and channels to pump a bunch of result sets into a map. And I thought, okay, that seems pretty sane. And then I, of course, had to coordinate the Go routines, um, make sure that they all returned using weight groups and then this and that and the other thing. And so Go really sells itself on like, we, um, we communicate by or we share memory by communicating rather than communicating by sharing memory. And they think that's a wonderful thing. And they're like, oh, look at our wonderful concurrency primitives. Primitives. You can, you know, write this code and it's easy to understand and you can see very easily what's happening. And, um, you know, they, they brag about, you can spawn off 10,000, 100,000 Go routines um, all at once. You know, there's no big deal in doing this. It, you know, it's not heavy like an operating system thread. And you can do all this fancy stuff with them. But what I ran into was um, essentially, you know, them saying, no, don't do this kind of stuff. Uh, this is not idiomatic Go. You know, there's there's a overhead for using Go routines. And what you really want to do is just use locks. So me firing off all these Go routines and modifying this map. Let's Let's just start with that. I'm not going to really pick on the Go folks too much more. But... Um, I feel like I was really falsely advertised to about this because as soon as you use a bunch of Go routines and work on a single data structure, guess what you need? You need locks. And so I modify my existing data structure, which is a map, and I uh, now need a struct, and the struct has a lock on it, and now I have to define an insert and a get function or whatever the heck I call them because I was being lazy and kind of pissed off at the time. <laughs> Uh, and it just basically like insert grabs the lock and it puts the data on the map and then it releases the lock. And so, you know, I'm using go routines like I'm supposed to, and I got my weight groups and stuff. And what am I doing on top of that? I'm grabbing locks. Like, I was like, this is stupid. Um, this doesn't make any sense. And then people would argue, oh, well, use a different data structure or use a different whatever. But at some point in time, if you're using go routines to synchronize a bunch of data, you're going to have locks. So at that point, you're like, What's the benefit of Go routines if I have locks on it as well? So I kind of got grumpy about it, and um, it took a, a pretty significant chunk of refactoring of my code, um, which actually wound up being like less code. And then at the time, I was reading this article, and it was talking about you know not using Go routines at all, using a different pattern because Go routines aren't idiomatic. And I was getting ready to rip out my Go routines code, and uh, I changed my mind against doing that, but um, yeah, essentially if I would have, I could come up with a more performant solution if I just did the locking and the asynchronous calls on my own, and then I sat there and I went, what was the point in Go in uh, Go selling me Go on Go routines and all these 
you know, uh, synchronization mechanisms being so wonderful and expressing concurrency so well, if I'm right back to locks and, mm-hmm. you know, all these asynchronous calls on my own anyway. So that's my complaint about it. Um, all in all, at the end of the day, my data is synchronized and I am getting the data back performantly, but it just seems like false advertising and another one of those Google things are like, hey, look, we're giving you this awesome thing when really they're just, they want to steal your data and make a bazillion dollars off of it, selling it <laughs> and analyzing it and all this kind of stuff. Selling it back to you. Yep. And selling it back to you. Hmm. So yeah, that was my rant about Go and all the sharp, sharp edges. So don't run with scissors, kids. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. Like I had a blast and then you know the more you the more you know yeah i think so i mean how many episodes is that i think this is the fourth one where i've talked about me doing asynchronous calls to increase the performance of my application and it's much faster than it was but there was a lot involved with that and mm-hmm. i think there's you know like it was a big long circle from hey look you're not going to have to use mutexes you can use go routines and channels and synchronize stuff all the way in a big circle back around to, well, yeah, use the Go routines, but you really shouldn't. And by the way, you're going to need some locks and ch- change all your data types and all this other kind of stuff anyway. So mm-hmm. it took a while to get there, but now I'm happily running with scissors with guards on them. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. <laughs> you're running with those little plastic scissors? Yeah, that you can't cut paper with anyway. Or cut hair. You can just like, <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess since you said Google, I will uh, use that to transition to my thing, uh-huh. which was Google I.O. was last week. Yeah. And I was watching it live on the internets, and I was kind of making some notes until I got bored and realized, why am I watching Google I.O.? I don't really care about Android stuff anymore, or yeah. Google stuff for that matter. But uh, I made some notes, so we can talk about it, because you use Google and Android and stuff, and so let's talk about it. Cool. Um, so it looks like the new Android N, uh, the new beta, I guess it's like beta 2, because they made the first beta, but it's still not formally released. But uh, the new beta is going to eliminate a complaint that I had. I think I made it on this show before, where you, uh, you have the monthly security updates Mm -hmm. which is great except that every time you get a security update you have to apply it and then reboot the phone and then when you reboot the phone it has to go through and optimize every app that you have installed which is not go ahead which is yeah it's which is synonymous with i'm going to eat your battery for 45 minutes yeah well it's like the whole process you know turning from going from like you know when it finishes downloading the firmware and then it's like verifying firmware or whatever, and then it actually like makes it so you can't use the phone. So that's like a long period of time where you can't use the phone, and it's sitting there spinning, eating all the CPU and whatever. Um, so finally, then I guess in the new Android N beta, they're doing away with that. So it's going to work like iOS, where it just you know does a reboot, applies the thing, and you're back up and running within two minutes or something like that. Nice. So that's neat. Um, I will just assume that they listened to our podcast and heard me complain about it. They should Uh, take us very seriously. They should. And so, like, I don't really use Android, but I have some Android test devices, and one of them runs Android N. So 
every time I turn on the phone, it has the new security update. It's like a Windows XP computer, you know? Mm -hmm. Every time you turn it on, it's like, hey, I have nine security updates to apply. Um, so yeah, so every time I would do that, I would apply the update and then, you know, not get to use the phone for 20 or 40 minutes and then I'd forget what the hell I needed the phone for. <laughs> so that's that. Um, this new thing at Allo, did I, did I write that right? Allo? Google Allo. Aloe Allo Vera? Google Allo is this new chat app. Mm-hmm. So now they have like, six chat apps there's like google talk google voice google messenger messenger hangouts allo what are you doing google uh this thing looked so dumb during the uh presentation it basically can complete it like analyzes the the text and the images that you're looking at in your chat and then suggests replies for you ah nice and I thought, how dumb is that? Like, I don't want to chat with somebody that is that is chatting, like that is having a computer chat for them, right? Right? Like that. And then I'm so now I'm having my phone do that too. So now both of our computer our phones are chatting with each other on their own, using Google in the middle to like analyze the images. Like it showed, I can't remember if it was like a dog or something. Like they sent a picture of a dog, or they received it, and it analyze that and then wanted to reply like oh that's cute but like if you think about that like the, the if you sent that to someone and then you got that in reply and you knew that that's what was going on you'd think like so they don't actually think that that's just what google is or that android is suggesting right so who wants that like that just seems like it's a bunch of engineers at google Sitting around like, hey, we could show off how our artificial intelligence stuff works without thinking like that nobody actually wants that. Am I wrong? No, I, I think you're 100% right. And, and plus the creepy factor. Now mm -hmm. all this stuff is going to be analyzed and, you know, they're analyzing your responses to certain things in addition to the information that you're looking at and trying to marry the two together, which is which is scary and stupid. Like, I don't want you on my device. I don't want you doing that particular thing. I'd never use an app like that. And I will say that it's the very reason um, I'm signed into Inbox right now. But most of the time, I do not use um, Inbox anymore to access my email because I'm sick and tired of opening up an email and them proposing a reply on an email that, one, I don't want to reply to to, to begin with. But I just think that's kind of stupid. It's It's a... You know, it's a waste of time to sit there and say, yeah, I'll get back to you next week. No, it, delete the email. It's spam. So now we're going to chew up all these CPU cycles on a bunch of LinkedIn and whatever the stupid email is, mm -hmm. some sort of spam email from some recruiter or somebody selling websites, and they're chewing through CPU cycles to say, yeah, that looks great. Let me whatever with it. I think it's dumb, um, and I don't like it. Yeah, so in my notes, uh, as I was watching this, I wrote down, Allo, chat for autistics. Because it seemed to me like if you were autistic and you didn't, you weren't good at communicating with people, that like right. you could get by by having this thing just do all the responses for you. Right. Like someone sends you a picture of their baby and you're like, you have no idea what to say. 
it, right. it, like the thing is already filled in. Oh, that's cute. Be like, oh yeah, that seems like a reply that a normal person would want to hear. Right. Uh, so maybe there's a lot of autistic people at Google that that need this feature, but I don't know. It seemed kind of weird. Uh, yeah. The only good news is that uh, Allo integrates the encryption from Whisper Systems, um, so the end-to-end encryption that you can optionally turn on. I don't know why it wouldn't just be on by default. <laughs> well, I do know why it's not on by default, because mm-hmm. then Google can't read your stuff. But mm-hmm. if you want it, the incognito chat, as they put it, is using the signal protocol from Open Whisper Systems, which is cool even though it's like not at all compatible with signal. Yeah. Even at least the protocol is the same and you know that it's secure. So that's neat. Um, what else? So basically they were talking about some more new stuff that's coming in Android. And I just tuned out because as an Android developer, there's absolutely no point in me integrating any new feature in Android because no one is running it. Right. So like I can put in the time to make this feature work and it'll work for like if you go on of the phones, or well, if you like go that. on, on the Android developer site, it says that 7.5% of users of Android users are on 6.0 and they're talking about Android seven. They're talking about Android N, which right. is the version after six and only seven and a half percent are running six. So it's like, well, what, tiny fragment of users are running are going to be running this new Android N beta or even the the version when it comes out of beta and it's like so what is the benefit for me investing all my time in these features because anything that I create I'm going to either have to disable it for every other user because they don't run version 6 or 7 right or I have to like use the uh like the Android compatibility libraries that kind of backport this stuff to older versions, but it doesn't always look right or inter- like interact correctly with the system and it looks out of place and all this other stuff. So it's like there's no point in doing any of this or even paying attention to it. So as a developer that has an Android app and kind of cares about like, you know, what's new and making my app cool and all that stuff and like using new functionality, there's just no benefit in me doing that other than to say that I have it, which no one really cares about because they can't use it. Well, and, and, and thinking about, uh, and thinking about this from the terms of like, um, web browser market share, remember when there was like 15% on Firefox or something like that? And they're like, Oh yeah, well, we don't really care about Firefox because there's only 15%. Mm -hmm. Here, here we're talking about less than like single digits percentage wise. And, you know, people are going to have to run out and spend time and spend money building updates into their application. And they, and this is, you know, what year, a year or two down the road before they're going to see any kind of double digit market penetration. Right. And so by comparison, the current version of Android is 6.0 or 6.1. And Google says that 7.5% of users are on that version. And by comparison, mm-hmm. iOS nine is the current version and 84% of iOS users are on iOS 9. And it's like, how, you know, more completely lopsided can you get? Like, Google needs to do something better about, like, do something more to get more users that, like, it has, you know, more market share than iOS, 
but it's because of this problem. Like you have all these old crappy devices that people are running that can't update to anything new. They have all these security problems because they can't get updates. And then none of the developers want to invest the time to support these new versions because no one can use them. And then if you do get the updates, it's like 16 all at once and you can't use your phone because that's broken too. Um, So talking about that, uh, I have an Android device. This is the 6P. Um, For all intents and purposes, this thing is like the premier Android device right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm running like Android 6.0.1, and this is supposed to be like I don't know stupid amounts of cores and all the memory and that you can shake a stick at. And I will tell you that this thing I've had it for I don't know six months maybe or so. This thing the UI isn't smooth. Everything's jumpy. Like press a button, zoom, then the effect. Press a button, zoom, then the effect. And and I'm thinking like. You know, how is it that you guys talk about, you being Googlers, talk about making improvements to the experience when I have the fastest phone money can buy for all intents and purposes, and I'm sitting here on an application that does nothing more than it ever has, and it's slow. The UI is slow. The the transitions are slow. They're not smooth. I mean, this phone is supposed to have a ridiculous amount of, like, CPU processor, GPU power great display and the entire thing looks like i'm playing on a an atari you know it's like frogger you know jumping across a lane it's it's horrible yeah. uh so i don't know what the deal is and um this is a project five phone and i i don't dare call support because i know what they're going to tell me to do they're going to tell me like factory reset the phone do a whatever thing have all your applications reinstall and it still won't be smooth yeah. and all these other things and they'll say, wait until the next beta. Well, I mean, uh, even... Are you running the Android N? No. Oh. Uh-uh. Oh, I'm... well then, yeah. <laughs> I'm the 7.5% here. I see. Um, so the... But the thing is, is like, things like Messenger or Hangouts or whatever it is, like, notifications don't come in timely, um... Like screen refreshes don't happen timely. If I'm talking in a message, you know, sending text back and forth, and I go back to the home screen that is like a summary of all my text messages, it's got like a message on there from like 20 minutes ago, and it hasn't refreshed the summary. And I'm like, you guys are supposed to be the most brilliant engineers on the planet, and you can't even figure out a text application that can be smooth. And I, and I mean, I don't text that much. It's like I have what maybe okay, let's call this. 20 text conversations in here. So 20 application or 20 different sets of messages to people. And it's like, "Oh, I can't do it." And um yeah, it just kind of it aggravates me so bad. Like I remember when I got the phone, I was like, "Oh, this is smooth. This is perfect." <laughs> what happens? Like nothing happened except they updated all the applications um, you know, and and made them slower to support these new features and I just it it just feels horrible right now hold on i'm looking at the uh memory utilization here and i mean i was saying like you know if you ran the beta then that might be an excuse why it's like that but Mm -hmm. then i remember that like one of the big things in android n was that everything is smoother and it's like yeah okay so you can update to this beta version that you run on your phone that you use every day but then even if that fixes your problem like what about all those 
other 92.5% of users that aren't on, or no, it's even less than 7.5. It's whatever tiny fragment is on the Android N. Right. Like, what about everybody else that still can't get that new version? Like, they still have to deal with a slow phone or a slow Android. And, and I swear it's a thing that, um, you know, several weeks before Google I.O. came out, they made people's user experiences slow and laggy and glitchy <laughs> so that they could be like, hey, the UI is now smooth and refined. And, you know, and, and I'm sure that's like now my Gmail app is running in a compatibility mode, so it's not going to be smooth. And the same thing is true with like Messenger and Hangouts and Chats and all these other stupid programs. They're not smooth and you know, the UI experience is horrible, and then you up, you're forced to upgrade to N to try it out, and they're like, oh, look, it's smooth again, mm-hmm. when it could have just stayed smooth all along if they wouldn't have been breaking stuff. Yeah. So, so anyway. why do you still run Android if it frustrates you so much? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I haven't used an iPhone in a long, long time, and really, like... Uh, at this point, I'm looking more to like abandon the phone in general than I am to switch to something else that'll frustrate me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, really, as far as communication goes, I I just think that there can be a better way. Yeah, I mean, I used to be all about customizing my phone, and I had my own Android ROM that I ran on my own devices, and I would have it them rooted and uh, customize everything, and then it's like stuff just like. It wasn't worth my time anymore. Yeah. And then it kind of went from like running that stuff to then just running the stock ROM and then still rooting it so I can run, what was it, titanium backup? Because yeah. there was no way to back up the goddamn phone without backing everything up to Google to their cloud. Right. So then and even when you, even when you did that, it didn't save your settings and your layouts and your this and that and the every, uh, other thing for all your particular applications. With the Google cloud backup? No, it didn't. Not oh, for yeah. a long time. Well, with Titanium Backup, it would do everything. So that's why I still needed that. And then um, on some of the newer one, like you couldn't root it anymore because you needed to do, or you needed to put it in the, like, in the, what is it? You need to unlock the bootloader, which erases everything on the phone. Right. And then you can install a new recovery image, and then you boot to that, and then you install, you sideload the, super sue or whatever just to get root on it and you have to do that every single time because then you can't get system updates anymore because when it would try to flash the update that it would download over the air it would fail verification because you've modified some of the stuff on the system partition so then you could never update it so it's just a pain in the ass so now like i don't even bother with that stuff anymore i don't root my devices i don't unlock the bootloader, I don't do anything. I just turn on developer mode and then I connect to them over ADB and just test my app. Like, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. And um, I resisted switching to back to an iPhone because there were certain things that I liked doing on Android that I couldn't do on iOS. And now there's there's literally nothing that I can't do on my iPhone that I, that I miss anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it backs up over Wi-Fi to my laptop through iTunes, so I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It has the um, the night sh- the night mode night shift thing where it shifts the hue of the screen to like mm-hmm. a reddish color. So that was like an app that I used on Android that required root because you had to run. Um, I don't remember the name of the app, but that I really liked that on my Android phone. 
and it bothered me that I could never do that on iOS, and now it's a feature. And was it was it like Lux or something like that? Yeah, it was some like uh, Flux ripoff. And I, I actually uh, just you you talked about that a couple weeks ago. You were talking about like uh, changing the um, the coloring on the screen based on the the light intensity and stuff. Yeah. So sorry to derail your thought, but um, <laughs> I downloaded an application because I was getting furious at the um, the screen auto dimming auto whatever it's called mm-hmm. uh, that's built into Android, and I was like, you know. I I disabled it and it was still changing the uh, screen brightness on my phone and it was really pissing me off. I'm like, what what is this thing doing? So I downloaded this Lux application or whatever it's called and it actually does a reasonable job. But um, I, I was kind of mad that I had to like put on a second, another piece of software on my machine or on my phone to do something that should just work out of the box. And um, and, and I guess the aggravating point is you fucking Google engineers are supposed to be like the best people on the planet, and some other developer comes up with a free piece of software that works better than your built-in stuff. Just copy whatever he has, pay him for it, do whatever, put it in the base so I don't have to dick around with another application for your broken stuff. Right. Um, well, apologize, I apologize for that, but it really pissed me off. Um, so anyway, um, go back to your whole lighting thing, because... It got me derailed because I I just looked at it and I was like, yeah, why doesn't this ever work? It it pissed me off so bad. I think what I was talking about in the other show was that the new iPad that I got, the iPad Pro, has, um, because like every phone and and iPad has like the sensor so it can detect the lighting in your environment and auto dim the screen. Like Mm -hmm. that's normal. And then now it has the night shift mode, which changes the color temperature of the screen based on the time. Yes. But then the new iPad Pro has like um, light sensors built into the front of it so it can actually detect the color temperature of the room that you're in and then dynamically change it um, so that it matches the light of the room that you're in. So right. it's less harsh or if you go outside, it's like more um, white or whatever. So that's not just the brightness, that's also the color. Yeah. But yeah, so it was just, you know, like that. The night shift stuff, once they integrated that into iOS, it's just like, okay, that's one less uh, app that I would have either had to like jailbreak my iPhone, which I haven't done in like forever, because I don't know if you can even do that anymore. Um, but there's just really no reason to to need any of that stuff anymore. And I, I guess it's maybe also because I'm getting older and I just want to spend less time dicking around with my phone. I know. I, I remember like I was working on some sort so. My favorite phone of all time, um, I think Peter Hessler told me to look at the Nokia phones. And I got this E75, and it was like a candy bar slider. You know what I'm saying? The ones mm-hmm. that are like... Uh, and, and this thing had FM radio built in. It just worked. I, I had a touchpad on the outside of the phone for dialing numbers. There was a kind of like a notification window that just worked brilliantly. If you had to type an email or do something, it would like... You know, you'd slide the phone open, and the keyboard was reasonable. I mean, it wasn't, like, perfect, but the keys were big enough, and it, you could type on it. That was the most perfect phone I've ever had in my life. And, um, you know, obvious things now, you know, oh, it only has a 3.2 megapixel camera, and all I do with my phone is, like, take pictures. Mm-hmm. But um, I look at stuff like that, and there's no setup. There's no, like, fancy programs. There's no, like, any of this stuff. It just worked out of the box. Yeah. 
anyway, I had another phone and I was trying to get, it was like the, um, the MyTouch slide or something like that. And these people would spend all this time, the background this and the UI that and the special dock bar this and the other thing that. And, and it's like, you know what, guys, um, I understand that it's fun to do and to be able to do, but needing to do it in order to make, make the device usable is where I draw the line. I just think it's stupid. And I, <laughs> yeah. There's a uh, subreddit called Unix porn, which yeah. is kind of weird. And it's just screenshots of people's, uh, Unix like workstations or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and like, obviously like 95% of the screenshots are just people running like Linux and they just, uh, installed i3 or whatever. And they yeah. just have a terminal open and they're like, sweet, I'm running Unix now. And they all look the same basically, but those ones all get the, the most upvotes. And anyway, it's like those, I don't know. It, maybe it's just like a, a younger thing. Like I remember doing that with OpenBSD. Like you spend uh, lots of time customizing everything and recompiling mm-hmm. your kernel and making the kernel text, uh, with a red background instead of blue and, you know, just stuff like that. Cause it was fun. But then after a certain point, it's just like, I don't really care anymore and I don't want to keep dicking with it just to yeah. get stuff working. I just want to like get back to doing my own work. Yeah. And that's how I feel about Android. And with iOS, like, yeah, there's a lot of restrictions and stuff, but uh, they don't really bother me as much anymore. And I guess I just trust Apple a lot more than I trust Google to either in terms of like my privacy, in terms of security, and in terms yep. of like making things that I want instead of Google making five different chat applications and then randomly deciding to like, cancel one of them six months from now telling everybody hey your new sms app is now this app yeah which one do i use hangouts or messenger well it depends on what you want to know just come on yeah um and so to your point about that um i didn't watch google io this year but i watched it last year or the year before i can't remember i can't remember which one it was and i'm watching them talk about like hey look what we can do with google now and people were like wait seriously this is what's happening and it was like forced applause and they're like isn't this cool and people are like um no not really like maybe that was me reading into it wrong but when you talked about that just now with apple i was like apple focuses on user experience and not being creepy and google was like throwing it out there like hey look we know exactly what you're gonna do and we can i i went into google photos and it sorted all my pictures and it knew like, hey, here's your pictures of dogs. Here's your pictures of your planes. Here's your pictures of your bike. Here's your pictures of your all this stuff. And I was like, all right, you know what? I didn't ask it to do that first off. Yeah. And secondly, it's getting weird. You know, I mean, I, I just don't want that. I don't want people arbitrarily doing that to try and help me um as like a feature it's not a feature it's weird and it's creepy you know it's like if your neighbor came over and was like hey i noticed you were working on your car again do you need an air filter it's like what are you doing <laughs> well i just offered it up and thinking i would be helpful yeah. no the fact that you're watching it is weird and creepy and the fact that i don't know any of these people up in mountain view makes it even more weird and more creepy um so i don't know the whole thing is getting a little bit too too uh personal for my tastes yeah. Well, it's like that allo thing. Like it analyzes the text that you're typing. Right. And one of the demos was like somebody talking to somebody and they're like, Hey, where do you want to go for lunch? And then like in line with the chat is like a Google search for like restaurants nearby. And mm-hmm. then as you like scroll through them or whatever, the other person sees that. And so 
I guess it's supposed to help you like, and then you can like click on one and it uses open table to like get you a reservation or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay. From a technology standpoint, it's neat that like you can do that, but sure. nobody wants that. Nobody's <laughs> asking for that. And then when Google does it, it's like, okay, so why is Google doing this? Like, what's the advantage for them? Like they're not doing mm-hmm. it because give us more features. There's got to be some hook in it for Google. And obviously it's because if you're doing a Google search, and, you know, clicking through, you know, in an ad or something like that, Google gets all that kickback and then they avoid you going out to a web browser and doing your own search in Bing right. or something like that. So they're trying to keep you inside of that app where everything is controlled by Google. And Apple would just, I mean, obviously Apple like has their own lock-in problems and stuff, but it's like, there's never, you never have to wonder why they're doing something <laughs> like they're not you don't have to worry if they're trying to sell you some other thing. And if they are, it's, they're trying to sell you like another piece of hardware because they're a hardware company. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of hardware, Google, um, they demoed or previewed or launched or whatever, some piece of hardware specifically built to do, um, AI at Google IO, didn't they? They were, they were touting like, Oh, look at this thing is able to analyze because it's optimized for this. It had some ASIC or something that was uh, optimized. For yeah. That. I tuned out before that. Oh my gosh. And I, <laughs> and I just, I was like, you know, guys, I think it's, we need technology to solve problems and, and the problems that we need to solve with it are not AI. They're not like predicting how people should think. They're not mm-hmm. predicting people's behaviors. They should be like, logistics problems like how can we make sure that we're not going to kill ourselves by you know um i don't well we won't say anything controversial but you know what i'm <laughs> saying like there's people who are going hungry right now and we ha- we're throwing away food how do we fix that problem right. right um and and if you put your ai towards that and if you could come to google io and say look uh we took a billion dollars and we just worked out the logistics of getting people who are starving to death who can't afford food and uh, we, we got the logistics so that they could get food that's being thrown away anyway, and now they're fed, I'd be like, you know what, you finally did something worthwhile. But this whole analysis stuff of what we're doing and what we're saying and when we sleep and when we wake up and, you know, whether we had a good night's sleep or a bad night's sleep and how many hours and all this other kind of stuff, like, no. Put put your money someplace else. And, you know, I'm, and, and it really kind of burns me that, um, you know, they say like, oh, look at all these big cool things that we're solving but they can't get like simple user experience stuff right. And that tells me they're not worried about the user experience. They're worried about their data. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I understand that from a business perspective, but as a consumer, I think it sucks. And I think they need more competition, um, to pressure them to make that experience better. And, and frankly, you know, iOS and that, uh, Safari browser was the thing that absolutely just open the floodgates for smartphones. I remember the first time I pulled up Safari on a on a iPhone, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh my gosh, the web experience on the phone is usable and brilliant and feels natural." And then I was like, "Okay, now I see where a smartphone starts to make sense." And then we had this in in I don't know inundation with Android, and then you know however many millions of activations a day or something like that. And it's gotten crappy since then. It's it's not usable. It's weird. It doesn't do what I want. The experience has been shot since then. So anyway, enough complaining about that. I don't want to give them any more publicity than they already got. But uh, it it just irks me off. I'm I'm pretty fed up with 
a lot of things right now. I, I think the Go experience for me was a positive one for the most part. And, you know, now I feel like a lot of like empty promises were made all over again. And I see where the Erlang people were coming from when they complained and they said, yeah, but your concurrency doesn't do X, Y, Z. And we actually got it right. And they said, oh, no, 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 ours is good enough. And I was like, I don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. But now I can kind of see. <laughs> yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to throw in from Google I.O. was that uh, you'll be able to run Android apps on Chromebooks now. Uh, I don't really know too much about it, but I guess that's a new feature, and it only works on, like, three Chromebooks right now. And uh, that HP Chromebook 13 that I was talking about in a previous episode mm -hmm. uh, came out and has been out of stock every day ever since. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the hell the point of that is. Uh, why do you release a device and then it's like they were expecting it to fail. So they're like, well, let's, let's not ramp up too much, uh, production here. Let's just make a few of them. And then people actually wanted it. And then they're like, oh, wait, no, nah, it's going to take us a while to make all these. So anyway, um, that's about all I had from Google IO because I stopped watching at some point. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the new or the next um, Apple developer conference is in like a week, I think. And I'm more excited about that because hopefully there will be a new MacBook Pro or something. Yeah. And uh, we're about an hour, so I guess we can wrap it up. Yep, for sure. I want to throw out one more thing. We can edit out some other rubbish from earlier. But um, I, um, I got my uh, APU2. There was another uh, core boot update. And I put a wireless card in there with a couple nice antennas. Um, and I will say that uh, OpenBSD works absolutely fantastic as a wireless access point. Um, I know people have been cautioned in the past not to do it. So I'll give you the couple caveats here. The caveat is, is that um, host AP mode does not do 802.11n. So you will not be, um, you know, broadcasting wireless N from your host. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm running mine on 802.11g, um, and it works really, really well. In fact, I'm getting about uh, 8 to 10 dBi more at, at range than I am on my Linksys, whatever the hell the thing is, the Cisco Linksys jobber jibber. And um, anyway, the, the signal's better. The packet flow is better. I, I have less... Um, issues with it kind of dropping out except for youtube i don't know what youtube's deal is but it seems to be like every time i try and watch a youtube video it's like experiencing interruptions and i'm like yeah youtube i don't know what the deal is <laughs> the interruption is that you keep interrupting me yeah the javascript is firing off so many <laughs> anyway yeah. um but the the cool thing is is um i want to say I spent like $6 on the pair of antennas and like $2 on the little pigtails that go from the wireless card to the antenna. And I think maybe like 15, 20 bucks for the card. Uh, it's the Compex card and it works really, really well. And I'm, you know, you go to like Best Buy or something and you buy one of those 802.11ACs or 11N wireless access points. They're like 200 bucks. Um, and I think the APU2 and the wireless stuff together was nowhere near that and it seems to be a more reliable connection the, the range is definitely better so um and you can do pf on it which is fantastic because now your wire you can leave your wireless open you can completely block all the traffic though you can like hand out 
addresses and stuff. And then uh, just use like authpf, have somebody SSH in, give them the credential, and then they can uh, pass all their traffic over the SSH tunnel, which is better than WPA2 and WPA and WEP and all that other nonsense that uh, wireless normally does. And, you know, you're good to go. And you can set up, you know, rules per user and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really happy to be running wireless that way again instead of through my Linksys in its own little, you know, portioned off section of my network. Hmm. See, I'm like the opposite. I have an Apple Airport Extreme that does uh, 802.11ac, uh-huh. and then I just have that um, bridging all the traffic to my APU, uh, the first one that does uh, it runs OpenBSD and then uh, runs PF, and then on the Airport Extreme you can set up a guest network that says different um, SSID, mm-hmm. and that when it bridges the traffic from the guest network over the gigabit ethernet to the APU, it comes as a VLAN. Uh-huh. So you just set up a VLAN interface on the OpenBSD router, and then you get all of that guest network traffic. And then I have PF set up so that it routes all of that guest network traffic over a uh, VPN connection that I have. So if we happen to get any guests and they are looking at weird shit on my network, it, uh, will just come out of the VPN in some other country instead of out of my cable connection. <laughs> and That uh, sounds sophisticated. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, but it's like the same thing, like with, I'm, I guess it's just like the iPhone versus Android. It's like, I don't really want to deal with all of that stuff that you just said. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, yeah, it's cool that you can set all that stuff up on OpenBSD, but maybe I'm just getting old, but it's like, well, I can set up nothing and... It just works, and it works at, I don't know how many hundreds of megabits. Like, I can, the speed test that I get from my laptop that's going to an airport extreme that bridges wirelessly over to another airport extreme downstairs that's actually connected to my router, and I'm doing 90 megabits a second over wireless to my laptop and on my phone. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's just one less thing to worry about, but then I still have OpenBSD uh, in control of everything so I can do all the filtering and weird routing and all that. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I see where you're coming from. I kind of was like looking for a happy medium between there, but honestly, I, I gambled on the card and the antennas and I thought, like, honestly, I didn't think the setup was that intrusive. Um, there's a couple things in name interface file and, um, the off PF stuff wasn't, I mean, you put a couple anchors in the firewall and all that kind of stuff. And, it seemed it seemed to work, and I didn't find it too intrusive. Um, I I was kind of like the other thing that I was really kind of frustrated with is the firmware situation on the um, commercial solutions from Linksys. That was one of the bigger things that sent me over the edge was, oh, yeah. um, you know, keeping them up to date and them not keeping anything up to date. And like right. I've got some vulnerable firmware sitting on my network, and I don't know who can access it from where and what it can what it has access to on my network anyway. And so, yeah. Um, Meaning all the wireless things that connect to it. Right. You know, like all the things that are hanging off there, I can't control that even though I can segment it from the rest of the LAN. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a uh, firmware update for the airport extreme like two days ago. Nice. Um, The other nice thing about those, the airport extremes is that they have, I think four gigabit ethernet ports on the back. 
Nice. So like the one that's upstairs that bridges to the one downstairs, I use to connect my the Raspberry Pi, the printer, and something else that like, you know, just devices that only have Ethernet. Uh-huh. Um, it's nice to be able to just plug those into the back of the airport extreme and have it um, bridge all that stuff over for me. Yeah. But anywho. Yeah, anyhow, that sounds good. Man, we, we really had a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, so it all built up over those two weeks. I know. It's a bunch of like, I feel like it's like adult angst, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, good episode, though. Um, is there anything else you like wanted to cover tonight? or? Um, so, I get the email notifications when people buy the stickers and uh-huh. shirts. Um few people ordered the stickers. I think more people are ordering the OpenBSD Blowfish stickers mm-hmm. than ours, but whatever. So, yeah, just a reminder, those garbage stickers and T-shirts are still available if you want them. And that's about it for this episode. So if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode, you can reach us on Twitter at GarbageFM and through our website at Garbage.fm. Brandon, where can people find you? Twitter, I'm at no mercy mod with a K N O W, and I'm also on Google Plus, but uh, that might be a little short lived. Are you going to be on Allo? Nope. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, I'm on the web at jcs.org and on Twitter at jcs. Awesome. So yeah, uh, we we talk about it, it's like a, a running joke about. Uh, you know, oh, well, all these chat programs suck. I'll create another one that will be the end-all chat program, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, what if we did something that actually used good cryptography and, um, you know, had a decent user interface? Like, I don't know. You could pull it up in a terminal. You could, you know, you didn't really have to do anything fancy. And then you just expose the data through various UIs, you know. I, I feel like that's what I want more than anything, and then people aren't reading my messages, and then you think, like, oh, what protocol am I going to use? And you're like, none of the ones that exist. And then you feel like, you know, the long-running joke just gets a little worse because you implemented it. But yeah, we need somebody who's, like, really good to implement one with the right crypto and the right kind of protocol that doesn't have a bunch of uh, tinfoil backdoors laced through it and all that kind of stuff. And then well, I think act- that's uh, Signal. It's kind oh, of is kind of what everyone agrees on. The problem with it, and there was a uh, post by Moxie about this the other day, is that he doesn't really believe in federation. Oh. Like, he doesn't think that that's a good idea for um, chat networks. And he, he detailed why. Um, and I kind of agree with him because, like, we had Jabber, and that was supposed to be the end all of chat program or chat protocols right like you can yeah everybody can run their own server they all talk with each other you had a major uh company like google running google talk over it so that if you wanted to run your own stuff you could still communicate with google talk people until Mm -hmm. google just canceled that idea and said screw you to everybody that was using that um and then like you could um build stuff on top of Jabber or XMPP, I guess, is the more uh, appropriate thing to like extend the protocol to do custom stuff over it, which right. some companies have done, but it like never really caught on because nobody wants to like the amount of people that want to run their own server is extremely small. 
And like I had one running, but it was the, uh, what's the Java one? Open uh, fire. Yeah. Open fire. Yeah. And it was and nice. It crashes cause like all the time it was, it was all right for me. Yeah. And it was nice. Cause like you get that web interface where you can administrate everything, but then it's like, I don't want to have this giant Java daemon running on my server, eating up half of my memory because it's running in Java and it, yeah. you know, it allocates all that memory up front. And then you have this, you know, web interface that's exposed and every other little weird thing that's inside of Jabber. So I shut it down. So I haven't used Jabber in a long time. And, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't really know that there's going to be an, another chat pro or chat protocol that a lot of people are going to use. Do you remember, uh, Google wave? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I never like, used hey. it, but I remember hearing about it. Oh my God. Well, and, and you can see now what the technology was being developed for. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, um, I remember Google wave and they're like, you can run your own server and look at all the collaboration you can do with it. And then they're like, yep, just kidding. We're done. <laughs> I mean, iMessage was supposed to be open source at some point, I think. Um, but it's not, or maybe it was just FaceTime. I think FaceTime was supposed to be like an open protocol. Uh huh. But I mean, I use iMessage on my, um, f- on my iPhone and on my Mac mm-hmm. and they talk to each other. So like if I get a text message on my phone, it pops up on my laptop so I yeah. can read and reply on my laptop if I'm there or do it on my phone and they kind of know like when I reply on one to take the notification off of the other one. Right. And it's, you know, it's like how it should work on Android where it is your SMS app too, but it's all integrated. So if you want to chat with somebody that doesn't have an iPhone, it works all the same. They just have different color bubbles, but it all just works. I don't really have to deal with it. And you can talk to people by phone number or email address and, uh, yeah, it all just kind of works and it's, it's end to end encrypted. Yeah. And, and so I just switched to the, the Google messenger. So now, uh, my Google chats and my SMS, uh, show up in my, whatever inbox. The problem with this is it, it, I mean, it seems to work. Like if I get a text, it'll pop up on my uh, Google messenger or Google hangouts or whatever the stupid program is named. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it shows up in my browser and it shows up on my phone and the notifications go away and vice versa. The problem is, is that now I have to run uh, the behemoth of inbox to get the notifications on my computer. Yeah. And I mean, I get that I'm going to have to run something, but it, it's just, getting painful to run all this crap, um, you know, for the convenience sake when I don't really want to run all the crap. It just seems like, you know, it should work with a little bit less, uh, you know, then, cause then all your emails are getting read and then I'll eventually, uh, the Hangouts app is going to start doing what Allo does or vice versa. So anyway, I mean, Signal is a really nice, uh, instant messaging app for phones and I think they have a web-based desktop version now too. The problem is that I don't, nobody else that I know uses signal. So it's like I haven't installed and no one ever talks to me over it because everybody just sends me a text message like they normally do. And maybe it's, you know, obviously used in certain circles where people value that um, end to end encryption, but I'm never really talking about anything that I care about over text message. You don't give out your bank account numbers and social security numbers and stuff? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. 
Um, uh, what was I going to say about the SMS thing? I don't remember. I'm still jonesing for that Nokia E75, though. If anybody has one, send it to me. <laughs> They're probably on eBay. Yeah, oh, they are, yeah. And and you could, and the problem is, is it's like, they're new, unlocked, blah, 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 for this country or this region or whatever, and, and mm -hmm. they don't work on our mobile networks and all this kind of stuff, which is a bummer, but it was still so nice. Like, I remember just having wireless on, and it, and it just worked, you know, like your emails would come rolling in, and life was good. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> And I heard Nokia too is going to start uh, releasing Android phones again. Or I thought they uh, just shut down. I I I thought so too. But um, I heard that they were Nokia got bought by Microsoft, right? Yeah, this was two days ago. Microsoft laid off that entire division. They laid off eighteen hundred people that were still in the Nokia division because they're not going to make phones anymore. So I guess they're not going to be doing an Android phone. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Well, excellent. So you're all settled in your new place? Uh, for the most part, got a little, lot of little projects to still do and all that. But getting settled in, my office is all done, I guess. Cool. Well, hey man, I hope you enjoy yourself. I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna go crash for the evening. All right. And uh, hopefully, everyone will enjoy another fine episode of garbage. So if, if you listen to this all the way to this part of the episode, tweet us. And the yeah. first the first five people that tweet at Garbage FM that you listened all the way to this part, uh, I will send you a sticker. Nice. That's you have awesome. To, I don't know how the how do DMs work on Twitter. I never use that. Do you have to like, I, can you DM somebody that doesn't follow you? Um, I think it depends on who it is. Huh. All right. Well, just try and DM Garbage FM on Twitter with your postal address if you want a sticker, and I'll send you a sticker. Hooray. Yeah, I'm going to order a T-shirt, speaking of which. Yeah, do it. I was wearing mine yesterday. <laughs> <laughs>